seems like life calls on us and emergencies call on us and situations call on us at the most inopportune moments. In those most inopportune moments, the most inconvenient times, it's like that's when all hell will break loose and, uh, and we would need to attend to some or other emergency. You know, it's like the stuff that you need to rush to never happens when you have copious amounts of time to deal with them. It always happens in these inopportune moments when you might get home after a long day of work and you go and you make yourself a cup of coffee and you're just so looking forward to enjoying that cup of coffee and you, you go and you, you put something on the TV and you kick off your shoes and you think to yourself, finally, I have found some peace in this life. At least for these next five minutes, I can just drink this coffee and just rest a little bit and and it's in that moment, as you're about to take that first sip, that you would get a phone call from your boss. I don't know uh, if any of you ever f- feel this way, but when, you're, when you see your boss phoning, there's something that happens deep in your soul, something that just comes up and you're like, Jesus, help me. You say a little prayer before you answer. And it's as you're about to take that first sip of coffee, your phone rings and you'll find out there's some emergency and you have to rush to the office and you have to deal with something and you almost have to kickstart yourself out of the chair. If you have young children uh, here this morning, those of you that have kids, you'll know that kids strategically wait for these moments. They strategically wait until you have kicked off your shoes, sat down, made the cup of coffee. It's nice and warm right now, and you can just enjoy this moment. And at that moment, they'll start screaming at the top of their lungs, Mom, Dad, come quick. And you're just like, you're spilling your coffee. You jump off the couch. You run. You're falling over toys. You just get to them, and you're like, what is it? And they're like, there is a lizard behind the trailer. And that's the big emergency. They just wanted you to see the lizard behind the trailer or, or help them because they can't get this one sock on. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of life. I'm just, I'm just kind of um, getting that off my chest this morning as a, young, as a parent of young kids. And, and some of you identify with me in that. Uh, we're praying for one another. But, but it's in those moments where we have these emergencies, these inconveniences, these, these things that call on our attention. Last year, I took my boy Eli, he was about three years old at the time, and I took him out to the Kruger. We spent five days in the Kruger Park, just the two of us. Uh, he absolutely loves animals and, and loves taking photos with me and, and just being out there in the bush. And we got there late one on the evening of our first evening that we arrived. We just made it into the camp. It was already dark, and we were so excited to get out the next morning and just go and see some animals. We had a whole list. He had a checklist. I had a checklist. We were going to do this thing. Um, And uh, we woke up early that next morning, about 4.30. He couldn't even stand it anymore. He just wanted to get out. And so we were the first car to park outside the gate, waiting for them to open so that we can get out and go and see these animals. And that's normally when you see the best best, uh, stuff. So we're waiting outside the gate. The gate opens up. We get out onto the road. And only about five or 10 minutes later, these three or four lions come walking along the road about, I think it was three lionesses and one young male. And they're just looking boisterous this morning. Like they've had a great night. They've obviously partied all night. And it's like now the sun's rising. And it's like, you know, they, they just, they're just boisterous and they, and they feel like being up to no good. And so we park the car. We watch these lions. They sniff our car a little bit. And then they walk to the car behind us. And I'm very, very grateful to the Lord for this because the lion then 
doesn't do anything to our car, but he starts biting the tire of the car behind us. And he's just like, this is obviously a toy that's meant to be, that's meant to be enjoyed. And so he starts biting into the side of this guy's tire and pulling on it. And then all of a sudden, you just hear this massive explosion, just this massive pop as the lion literally punctures the side wall of this tire. And you just hear air coming out. The lion obviously got a big fright and ran off to the next car. And uh, my first thought is, I'm just being totally transparent this morning, is thank you, Jesus, that it wasn't my car. That's my first thought because I didn't want to be inconvenienced. And my second thought is, I would like to now move on and see what's next. But I'm also thinking, will I leave this man to die changing his tire by himself? Like, that's just in my mind. Like, it's probably the Christian thing to do to help him. But I really don't want to because I just got here and it's our first morning and I want to go and see what else is out there. So it's, it's those moments of inconvenience where you're like, this is not really my problem. It shouldn't really be my issue that his car got bit, not mine. You know, it could have been mine, but it's not. And uh, I was actually about to kind of drive away and uh, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, I don't know, but you know, something spoke to me and just said, hey, you can't leave this guy. He started passing me by and I could actually hear the wheel just kind of flopping. I'm like, I won't let the man die today. So I offered um, to help him and I said, hey, can I help you change your tire? And uh, thank Jesus, he said no. But I offered, right? That was the point that I, I did offer. I was willing, I was willing. But it's those kind of inopportune moments that come across our path where we actually don't like to be, to be stopped and to help somebody else. Sometimes Easter, even a service like this this morning, you may have had some doubts waking up. You know, you might, may have had a late night last night, you're lying in your bed, it's been a busy season, you're tired, and you're like, do I, it's a little bit inconvenient on a Friday, a public holiday, getting up early, getting dressed, getting ready, and coming to church. So even, even things like Easter, even a Good Friday service can feel inconvenient. And you might even be wondering to yourself, is, is that even like my problem? Is, do I really need to be a part of a whole church thing? I mean, do I need to be a part of Easter? Is, that, is it actually, and I'm just trying to be a little bit honest this morning with some of the thoughts we wrestle with, is Easter actually relevant to my life? Is it actually relevant to, does it, is it applicable to me? You might be sitting there this morning going, is the stuff that this pastor is talking about even vaguely relevant to me? What difference does it make to my life? Is it my problem? And you're not the first person to feel this way over the Easter weekend. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a guy in scripture who had a very similar kind of inconvenient moment over the Easter period. Over the Passover feast uh, in Jerusalem, everybody, and by the way, today is the start of Passover in Jerusalem. The reason why Easter for us in the according to the Western calendar, uh, would uh, change every year is because it's based on the Hebrew calendar of Passover. And so it's a little bit shorter than ours. And that's why the day that we celebrate Easter changes uh, according to our Gregorian calendar. But, but today is the start of the Passover feast. If you were out in Jerusalem today, they would be celebrating and preparing for this, this feast of Passover. And what people would do uh, is that they would come from all over to, and travel to this feast. They would travel from all over to come and be a part of the, of the Passover. And there was a guy called Simon who traveled from Cyrene. He traveled all the way out from Cyrene to come and be in Jerusalem over this weekend. This is, this is similar to what 
Joburgers do over Easter weekend, where the moment Easter starts, the moment it's like Thursday afternoon, I, I read a report yesterday that said a thousand cars an hour were leaving Gauteng yesterday. A thousand cars an hour. People just like, that's it. I'm out of Joburg. It's Easter weekend. I'm out of here. And so the same way that Joburgers flock to the coast over the Easter period, that's basically what was happening here in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and so Simon travels. He arrives here in Jerusalem. He's looking forward to just having a bit of a break, being there for the Passover, celebrating it perhaps with some people that he knows. And then this happens. This really inconvenient thing happens. If you have your Bibles here today, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 23, pretty much for the, for the rest of our time together. So Luke chapter number 23. But this is what happens to Simon the Cyrene. He's just arrived. It's like arriving in Durban because you're so ready for this holiday. And then you get pulled over by the cops or someone waves you down and goes, our car has broken down. Will you help us push it? to the petrol station or push it over the hill or get it started? Will you help me change a tire? And you're like, I am not here to help you with your tire problems. I am here to enjoy my holiday. And so Simon arrives in Jerusalem and Luke 23, verse 26, it says, it says that he was passing by. It says, and as they led him away, led Jesus away, they come across this guy called Simon of Cyrene. It says they seized him. The Romans, literally, they see this guy passing. It just happens. If he had come five minutes earlier, he would have missed the whole thing. Five minutes later, and Jesus would have already been passed. But in this moment, as he arrives in Jerusalem, he just happens to walk straight into Jesus being led to the cross and carrying the cross up to the hill where he was crucified. And in that moment, the Romans see Simon. They seize him. He was coming in from the country and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Just so inconvenient. I didn't come here to carry stuff. I came here just to enjoy the Passover feast. And they, in that moment, just grab a hold of him. He has the cross. You carry it for Jesus. Jesus, by this point, had been so beaten, so dehydrated. Uh, he, he had, he had um, just was in a state physically where he was struggling to carry that cross. And they, they, gra they grab Simon and they give it to him. And he ends up carrying this cross all the way along behind Jesus. And through the whole process, people are lining the streets. You've got to remember, Jesus had become pretty famous at that time because of how God used him, because of his teachings, because of his miracles. And, and now he, there was a, a massive riot and people were calling for him to be crucified. He was taken into custody and everybody heard about it. The, the news of Jesus having been taken into custody and the whole trial with Pontius Pilate, everything had, it had just it had gone viral. People were hearing about this and they, they had come out to see this Jesus, to come and see what the Roman soldiers would do as uh, the, the people of Israel called for him to be crucified. Now it's the crucifixion of this man that we had heard about. And people are lining the streets. And as they're lining the streets, Jesus, bloodied and beaten, is coming past them. And in the hype of the moment, they all just start mocking him. And, they, uh, and the Bible tells us that, they, that they're abusing him and kicking him and punching him in the face and, 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 uh, and spitting on him and just, just throwing things at him. There's this, there's this abuse of Jesus as he's paraded 
through the streets of Jerusalem on his way to his crucifixion. People are just watching him go by, laughing at his frailty. And Simon's like, how did I get myself into this? Like, I just thought I was coming for the Passover, and here I am carrying a cross, watching these things be done to this person called Jesus. Luke 23, verse 35, I'm, I'm gonna work through Luke 23, but I'm just skipping a few verses here and there. Uh, Luke 23, verse 35, it says, and the people stood by, they stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him. They mocked him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the, the, his chosen one, just let him save himself. The rulers begin to, to scoff at him. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. Here, have some wine, Jesus. Have some of this. This will make you feel better. And they offer him this sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, this is the king of the Jews. They're mocking him in this moment. One of the criminals, once Jesus had gotten onto the cross, and he's literally hanging on the cross, dying on the cross. And in that moment, even the criminal, the lowest of the low, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. There's people standing by. And they're going, man, this is, this thing's happening, but it's not our problem. What has this got to do with us? They're just standing far off watching it. The rulers going, come on. Apparently he saved others. Let him save himself. The soldiers mock him. Here, Jesus, have a drink. Why don't you save yourself? Even the criminal rails at him and goes, save yourself, Jesus. It's not our problem. Sometimes people get so tired of hearing about Jesus, especially if they have some Christian friends that are always trying to share Jesus with them. And you, have, you may have had moments in your own life where you thought to yourself, I wish people would stop bothering me with this Jesus thing. Like, honestly, it's not my problem. I don't believe in it. It's not my deal. It's not what I'm about. I believe in other things and I might believe that there is a God or whatever, but I don't know if his name is Jesus. Why is this applicable to me? Why does this matter to my life? It's not my problem. This morning, you might not see the relevance of how a man who died 2,000 years ago, how that would be applicable to your life. But when I was reading this passage in Luke 23, all I want to do this morning is show you something that God showed me last night. As I was just reading through Luke chapter number 23, I saw something that even though I must have read this book, I don't know how many times, I saw something that for some reason I don't know if I've ever seen before. Something that actually happened in the people at the moment that Jesus died. 
something just stood out to me. In Luke 23, verse 44, going forward a little bit, Jesus is now on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. He's dying on the cross. On this day, all those years ago. And it says it was now about the sixth hour, which is about midday. And there was darkness over the whole land until the, whole, uh, until the ninth hour. For, for three whole hours, everything just goes dark while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Having said this, he breathed his last. Before I get to what stood out for me in this passage of scripture, we come to this moment where Jesus dies on the cross. A moment where he breathes out his last and commits his spirit to God. And in that moment, I love the way the scriptures say it, that the sun literally failed. We've been working through the book of John as a church, and, and in the beginning of the book of jo John, it shows us that Jesus is the creator. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and through him, everything that exists was created. It was created by him and for him, it says in Colossians. And all of it is held together by the word of his power. Everything in existence was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And in this moment, as the creator of heaven and earth himself dies on a cross, the sun's light fails. And what it revealed in that moment was just the darkness that is left over when Jesus is removed from our lives. When you take Jesus out of your life, if you had to take Jesus out of my life right now, no matter how hard I've worked on trying to be a good person, no matter how many good deeds I have done, no matter how many things I feel I have done that would, that would merit some favor, if you took Jesus out of my life right now, I would go back to being completely dark within a split second. Paul says, there is nothing good that dwells in us that is in our flesh. And we're so deceived and deceitful that we deceive ourselves about ourselves. We convince ourselves that we're actually okay. But what this verse shows us is when you take the Messiah, when you take the presence of Jesus out of your life, all that's left is darkness. Paul says it in Romans 1. He says, there's no one righteous. No, not one. Not one person who seeks God. Not one person who wants to honor him. Not one person who follows him. We are not righteous in our own strength. Our message here today, if you're visiting with us, isn't come and be a better person. Come and try harder to be better. Come and adopt our system for goodness. That's not what we're doing here. We recognize the darkness that is left over the moment Jesus is taken from our lives. In that moment, Jesus carries the collective weight of the sin of every single person in this room today. Every single person that had lived before Jesus and every single person that will still live after him, after his physical life on earth. He had the sin of the whole world, the weight of the sin of the whole world upon him in that moment. 
including your sin, including your mistakes, including your failures, including your shame. He had the sins of the crowd that stood afar off just watching all of this go down. Jesus was actually dying for those people that were spectators of this whole thing. He had the sins of the rulers upon him, those that scoffed at him. He had their sins. He was carrying it. He had the sins of of, of the soldiers that pierced his hands and feet as they pierced his hands. They were piercing their own because Jesus took their sin upon himself. He had that sin, the sin even of the criminal that hung beside him and mocked him. That criminal never realized that in that moment, Jesus was actually doing it for him. In 1 John 2 verse 2, it tells us that he himself, Jesus himself, is the atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice that makes us right with God. The the one that pays the debt that we owed. We were all guilty before the law. Before the law of God, we had all broken the law. And in this moment it says, he atones for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of all the world. Jesus had it upon himself. It's sad therefore that when we look at the cross, we sometimes think, well, that was Jesus' thing to go through. We have this way of disconnecting ourselves from Jesus and what he did on the cross. We have this way of, of, of missing what he was actually doing. Some people still think, well, the cross had nothing to do with me. And these people standing by, all these people that Jesus was dying for in that moment, they're still mocking. They're still jeering. They're still spitting on Jesus. They still don't get that what he was doing, he was doing for them, for their sins. And then something happens that we see there in that scripture. It says that in the temple, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It's top to bottom. That that curtain was about an inch thick. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. Because God is the one who taught. On the other side of that curtain, in the temple, was the most holy place. It was the presence of God. And you couldn't go in there without risking your life. In fact, only the high priest could go in there. And only once a year, following very strict instructions as he atoned for the sacrifices of the people of Israel. But in this moment, as the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, atoning for our sins, dies on the cross, God forever tears the divide between us and him. And ultimately swings open his presence and says, because of the righteousness that I will impute to your life, you are now welcome in my presence. And not only does the presence of God, it's not like the presence of God just stays in the most holy place waiting for us to visit, but it also brought the presence of God into the world. Jesus came to us. God comes to you and he speaks to your heart. Even this morning, God is not locked up in a church. He's not locked up in heaven. He's not distant, hoping that one day you might make your way to him. He meets us right now powerfully 
And in that moment as Jesus dies and the curtain is torn and the presence of God is spilt out over Jerusalem, in that moment, something happens in the hearts of the people watching this all go down. There's a miraculous moment here, and this is what I saw last night that that just blew me away. There is a miraculous thing that happens to all these onlookers and these scoffers and these mockers and these these people who jeer and, and who look at it all go down and go, what does this even mean to my life? Luke 23, verse 47. In a moment, this happens. In a moment as Jesus dies. It says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, this is the centurion, the Roman soldier, the one who was standing at the foot of Jesus at the cross. When he saw what had taken place, look at this, he praised God. That's the one who most likely just pierced Jesus who was overseeing the whole thing as they crucified him, who was overseeing his hands being nailed to the cross and his feet being nailed to the cross. He's the one who stood by conducting the whole thing. And in this moment as Jesus dies and the presence of God is spilt out, he goes from a mocker, a scoffer, one offering sour wine going, come on, save yourself, save yourself, to praising God. One moment. Saying, Surely this man is innocent. Surely this man is innocent. This was just the most beautiful piece of scripture. It says, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, a spectacle, it's entertainment. We wanna see what's gonna happen. When they saw what had taken place, when they saw the cross, when they saw what Jesus had, did for, had done for them, They returned home beating their chests. Oh man, this is a beautiful picture. You've got these people mocking. Ah, who are you, Jesus? Come on, save yourself. You think you're the king of the Jews. You think you're this, this Messiah. Come on, if you're the chosen one, get yourself off that cross. Come on, save yourself. Jesus dies. The presence of God is spilt out and they go. They recognize that he was innocent. The reason why this affected these people so much is because if Jesus wasn't dying for himself, he was dying for them. This ancient expression of anger and hurt and sorrow, like I can't believe it. He did it for me. He died for me. When I was mocking him and when I was jeering and when I was this rebel and when I was doubting and I was telling other people, I don't know if I believe all this Jesus stuff. He was dying for me in that moment. You see, they kept shouting out at Jesus, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. And Jesus was thinking to himself, I won't because I'm actually saving you. I'm actually saving you. I'm dying on the cross for you. I'm not gonna get off. I chose to be here because it was for you. And it's as applicable to us today as it was to those crowds back then. You might feel like one of these people that just stand watching the Christian thing from far away, going, Christianity, church, I don't know if it's for me. You might be one of those just 
telling your friends, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, man. I, you know, if I just look at, at what this guy says and what that atheist has to say and what this post was on Facebook and what this, like, I don't know, man, this whole thing just seems messed up. And, and, and we can be mockers and we can be scoffers and it doesn't matter whether you're a ruler or a criminal. And Jesus goes, it's for you. Whether you wanna believe it or not, I died for the sins of the whole world. It was for you. That's what happens when you genuinely see the cross. When you see what it is that God did for you. When you recognize in a moment, you can go from the most, the biggest God-hating rebel on the planet to in a second being the one who praises him. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And that's what makes this whole journey of church for us so exhilarating, is seeing the mockers become servants and the scoffers become lovers. And those that hate God, just wanting to fulfill the call of God on their lives. We see it every day. We're not guessing about this. We're not unsure about whether the power of God is really present to save. We watch it unfold daily. In a moment, the turn that comes. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He died on the cross for you. I remember a few years ago, organizing a surprise party for my wife. Uh, It was her birthday and we were on our way to holiday. It was actually, uh, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. We had been to a 21st birthday party and we were actually driving to on holiday, I told her that we were gonna just leave straight after the party and, and drive, we'll arrive late, but at least then we're there. And, uh, and on the way there, I said to her, oh, I just got a text from my dad. And my dad said he needs, he needs us to just stop off at this restaurant and pick up this check from this guy that's supposed to be. And I remember my wife being like, why? We're on our way to holiday. Can't your dad get the check tomorrow? It's a Saturday night. Why does he need it tonight? We're like, why is this? Why are we doing this? Why are we stopping off at this restaurant? So we stop and she's like, okay, I'll wait in the car. I'm like, no, just come with me. I just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go alone. Just walk with me. Let's just go get the check and then we'll go on holiday. And all the while she's like, why is this thing? Why do I have to come and get this check? I still don't understand why your dad can't just do the thing himself. And as we came up the stairs, there was this upper section of the restaurant. The place was just filled with people that had gathered to celebrate her. And it's like, sometimes we complain about Jesus and why is this thing and why and then there's a moment when you realize oh this is actually all for me this is actually for me and I remember her just being in tears just being overwhelmed by by all of these people that had gathered to come and celebrate her if for you in your life you see Christianity as a schlep as something dreary as a duty then it's only because you still need to see in a greater measure, what it is that Jesus actually did for you. Once you've seen it, all of this goes from being a duty to being the greatest privilege that we can know, to serve God and to know Him and to walk with Him. You come to know the love of God, and and when you love somebody, and when you are loved by somebody, things that normally would feel like a duty, they now become the most natural thing on earth. Bible tells us, and I'm almost done this morning, 1 John 4 verse 10, It says, 
in this is love. Not that we have loved God. You see, the gospel is not based on how much you love God. This is real love. This is true love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. That's love. You know what love is? A person dying for those that mock him as he does. A person giving his life for those that are actually taking it in that moment. That is just a powerful picture of the grace of God. Let me tell you something. If Jesus could forgive those soldiers who pierced his side, who pierced his hands and feet, the ones that actually physically spat on him and pressed their crown of thorns into his head, why would you assume that God couldn't forgive you of whatever you've done? Why would you assume that the grace of God isn't powerful enough to cleanse you and to wash you of all unrighteousness? We come back to Simon the Cyrene. He must have gone, what a burden to have to carry this cross until he realized that Jesus was actually the one carrying the cross for him. Simon's going, it's not my problem. Whatever you guys want to do with this Jesus guy, it's not my problem. And yet, it was actually his cross. It's like God allowed for a moment the people to realize that this cross doesn't actually even belong to Jesus. It belongs to us. It should have been our death. It should have been our judgment. But he carried it for us. Simon realizes, I'm not disconnected from the cross. When Jesus died there, he was dying as me. The Bible says in Romans 6, 6, that we were crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with. We could live in righteousness and in a relationship with God. I found something in scripture that's just so amazing. I, I just wanted to know everything I could about this guy called Simon the Cyrene who thought he was being so inconvenienced yet in that moment he was being saved. Because we don't specifically hear about him again later on in scripture, but what we do hear is something very interesting. If you read the account of Simon the Cyrene in the book of Mark, Mark adds an interesting little detail. In Mark 15 verse 21, it says, a certain man from, Siren, uh, from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. How does Mark know his kids' names? This is a little detail that we can just overlook. But what we realize is that even though nobody knew who Simon the Cyrene was and, 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 and he wasn't a part of the disciples before then, he had just come in from the country. What we do know is that it seems like after the death of Jesus, the disciples actually got to know him. So much so that they knew his family. You know, that would be like, if, if somebody is joining us for the first day here today, like I, I wouldn't know the names of your kids. But if you've been with us for a while, I could be like, oh, there in the back, there's Ryan. His kids are Jude and Jenna. That obviously means that I know him. So this gives us a clue. 
that even Simon who carried the cross for Jesus afterwards became a disciple. He became a Christian. He got saved understanding what Jesus did for him. Mark knew the names of his kids. And not only Mark, but then later in the book of Romans, we just heard that his kids' names were Alexander and Rufus. Look at Romans 16 verse 3. Paul is finishing off his letter to the Romans and he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, which would be Simon the Cyrene's wife, who has been a mother to me too. You see, when you see the cross, it doesn't just change your life. It changes the lives of everybody around you. Simon led his whole family to Jesus. He like, comes home, I've got to tell you guys what happened today. I, I, was, I thought this was such an inconvenience until I realized this man died for me. And guess what? He died for you too. He died for you, for, for my wife, for my kids. He died for all of us. And they actually, the, Simon's wife becomes like a mother to Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament that we preach and teach every week. They were able to fulfill the calling that God had on their lives. Because in a moment, they recognized what Jesus had done for them on the cross. And so for as long as Anchor Church exists, for as long as God graces me to be able to share the gospel and our team and everybody who's up here and worshiping and, and, and being out there in the world as leading connect groups and sharing with the people. As long as we as a community of believers are together, this is what we're all about. Helping people understand and see the fullness of the grace of God poured out through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather on Good Friday to talk about what it is that happened because we know that in that moment as people see it, they go from being mockers to children of God and it affects everything about their lives. Here's my message to you this morning. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Your sins, your shame, your condemnation, it's all been taken away. So if Jesus has saved you, stop trying to save yourself and just recognize what is already yours through the cross. The last thing that Jesus shouted out as he died on the cross is, it is finished. I've completed the work. I've reconciled these people to God. Their sins have forever been removed. How incredible is that this morning? Come on, we can, we can celebrate that this morning. We can celebrate and recognize it in a moment this morning. I want us just to pray together and thank Jesus for what he's done for us and give you an opportunity right now, just like that soldier responded, just like the people who beat their chests. This might be a moment for you today to recognize what Jesus has done for you personally and individually. Let's just close our eyes and pray together.